The day is Monday the 14th of August. I'm Jason England and welcome to Learn Something, the official podcast of NewRisingMedia.com where I consume your brain space with weird and wonderful facts that you've probably never heard before. On today's episode, time to put down those controllers because we are talking about video games. Yep, that's right, I've thrown all kinds of alliteration out the window and just decided to do themes that I thought would be quite interesting. So we're tackling um, some really weird facts in the world of video games, including Saddam Hussein's addiction to PlayStation 2, uh, Microsoft's terms of service, the first ever 3D game created, the final game ever made for the Sega Dreamcast, and rock, paper, scissors. Stick around. This is going to be a fun one. So first off, we're going to be diving into the bright and colourful world of Pokemon. Today I learned that the Pokemon Gold and Silver games that came out on the Game Boy Colour way back when was only developed by four programmers. Programmer Shigeti Morimoto stated that part of why development took three and a half years to finish was due to being a small team. We were very greedy in terms of all the features we wanted to include in the games. Ishihara declared that Gold and Silver were supposed to be the last in the series. Quote unquote, I didn't intend to make any more Pokemon titles, even though I thought that once we entered the 21st century, it would be time for me to do something else entirely. Well, look how differently that turned out, especially with how big Pokemon is in the world still today. Next, we go forward nearly a decade and a half to Pokemon Go. The game developed by Niantic with the use of Google Maps technology after a particular Google Maps April Fools in 2014 went viral and people realized that they actually wanted a Google Mapsified version of Pokemon Go where they could walk around the real world and catch Pokemon. So Nintendo's stock price almost doubled after the release of Pokemon Go as investors saw great promise in this new interactive version of one of their primary IPs on Game Boy and Nintendo DS at the time. However, shortly after, the shares sank 18%, which is the maximum one-day move allowed on the Tokyo Stock Exchange when Nintendo admitted the company had very little to do with the game. Bad luck there, Nintendo. There have been 14 deaths and 55 injuries because of Pokemon Go. The most recent injury happened to a 14-year-old boy in Washington, Australia, where he was reportedly so engrossed in what was happening on his mobile phone that he lost his footing, tripped, and fell over unexpectedly. Now, the Medical Journal of Australia doesn't detail whether his eye came into contact with something as he fell, or if this eye injury happened because it simply fell directly on the ground and impacted his eye. But the end result is the same. The 14-year-old sustained what's called an afferent pupillo defect, which means his pupil was responding to light in an improper way due to some optic nerve damage sustained from the fall. But things soon got a lot worse, as the afflicted eye's impaired vision turned to complete blindness just a few days later. Other ones involve somebody, a supermarket worker in Britain was beaten to death in a car park over Pokemon Go. And another Pokemon Go fan 
was stabbed while playing the game, yet did not go to hospital, but instead continued his mission to catch them all. Now, obviously, I know these are all very dark, sinister consequences of the game, but they're not even consequences, not even anything that you should be worried about. The only reason why I share these facts is it's simply stunning to see that this happens not in a positive way, don't try and take that in any other context, and simply a message of awareness. Please pay attention around you. I've had friends who have been injured because they've been looking at their phone and they've walked into something by accident. It's a very easy mistake to make, so please just be aware of your surroundings. And after that rather dark turn, we're going to brighten things up a little bit and I'm going to turn this show around to you guys. I want to know, what is your favourite video game ever? Not just of this month, of this year, or of these past few years, or of this generation of console, ever. It can be anything. It could be one of the most popular games on the planet that would make for a very easy choice, but you have a particular reason behind it. It could be a game that was critically panned everywhere, but you love it anyway. My favorite game ever was a small, it was a 2D platforming game called Heart of Darkness on PlayStation 1. I'm not sure if it came out on any other consoles, but this was a crazy game. It was meant to just be an adventure of a boy going to save his dog. And it was it seemed so child-friendly at the beginning and it was descending into these dreams, but then it turned into a nightmare scenario and when I got the game at the age of 7, it did give me nightmares <laughs> for a little bit. But I love going back to it. I love playing it. I still have the original copy of the game in the attic at my parents' house, and I still love to get it out nowadays. So if you have a favorite game, call in. Call in now and let me know what that game is and why it's so important to you. Okay. And a quick note to those listening to this show on Apple Podcasts, by calling in, I mean to find our anchor station on anchor.fm slash newrisingmedia. If you download the Anchor app, and you tap on my station, you can see a little speech bubble called Call In. You tap on that, you call in, and then you can tell me what your favourite video game is and why. Next, we move on to Star Wars. Chances are you haven't really paid attention to how many games have actually come out surrounding Star Wars, but I'll give you a clue, it's a lot of them. Today I learned that Every single year since 1991, there has been at least one Star Wars game, maxing out at 12 in one year. Some of my favourites, looking through this list as we're going around, is Star Wars X-Wing, Star Wars TIE Fighter, Star Wars X-Wing vs TIE Fighter, three amazing space fighter games that I do recommend you guys play. A couple of the, um, I guess, underrated games would be Star Wars Starfighter, Um, Another one which way back in 1990, no, it's the year 2000 actually, I got that very wrong, it's episode 1 Jedi Power Battles, a great arcade kind of lightsaber fighter game, Um, other than that, 
your classics, Star Wars Battlefront, Star Wars Battlefront 2, the Lego Star Wars series is also a really great game. The Force Unleashed is a great underrated game that came out on Xbox 360 that I do recommend you guys have a good look at. Um, a bit of a NAF 1, let's call it the, um, the Dookie in the middle of it all, would be Connect Star Wars, which even though it is a pretty terrible Microsoft Connect game, has spawned a fair few memes around it, specifically around the music video where they um, where they parodied the song I'm Riding Solo to I'm Han Solo. Yes, that actually happened. And now we turn our attention to Microsoft and more specifically Halo 2 right now. As you can remember, way back when, in 2004, it was released as one of the pioneering games of Microsoft's Xbox Live online service. And while it was a huge success on the console at the time, it left a lot of people asking, because of the success of the original Halo on the PC, when is it going to come to my computer? And on February 9th, 2006, Nick Barron announced that a version of the game would be released on PC exclusively for the Windows Vista operating system. So this was the deliberate decision by Microsoft to push sales of Vista and look where that got them. Oh dear. Um, and it turns out that it was originally scheduled for May the 8th, 2007, a whole three years after the game came out, but it was pushed back to May 31st. So, why did it take so long for the game to come out, and why was the game delayed? Well, it turns out that in the original version of Halo 2, a developer hid a picture of his own arse, or ass, or butt, or bum, or rear end, if you're feeling particularly posh, in the game. The photograph of a man mooning the camera was presented as part of what was called the dot ass error message and was found in the game's map editor. Microsoft offered patches to remove the nude content and revised the box ratings, and that's the reason why they delayed it as well, so that they could actually get this patch out and be ahead of the storm. And on the topic of Xbox Live, while the original Xbox and the PS2 and the Sega Dreamcast were pitched as the first three consoles to actually bring online gaming to the forefront, it turns out that there was online gaming and networked multiplayer around a lot longer before that. Specifically, the Super Nintendo and the Sega Genesis in the late 80s and early 90s had an online gaming community network like Xbox Live and PS Network called X-Band. It was the first online console gaming network and it was available for these two consoles. It was produced by Catapult Entertainment and it was the only modem that was released that could be supported by these two consoles. Released in America, it debuted in 1994 and 95, and the networks were eventually stabilized in the sixth and later generations of video games. That was when Xbox Live, PlayStation Network, and Nintendo Network had come out by then to stabilize these online gaming networks. The Genesis version of X-Band was released in 1994 in November, with the Super Genesis, Super Nintendo version following in June 1995. The Genesis version also works with the Genesis Nomad. 
and the service was simple. It was a concept of playing online and playing online multiplayer. It retailed for $20 at the time and had one monthly fee of $4.95, which allowed the user to connect to the service up to 50 times per month. The service featured a lot of different, pretty groundbreaking technologies at the time. So for example, there was an X-Band service for matchmaking, downloading mail, downloading the daily edition of two X-Band newsletters, and players were also assessed a fee of $3.95 an hour for connecting to opponents outside of their local calling area. This is, this is back in the dial-up days. So player-to-player -player connections inside the local calling area were free. So don't expect any call, kind of like worldwide multiplayer on this. Um, the modem features built-in storage for up to four users who had code names. So these were the gamer tags and you could store user friend lists and you could store Four, you could store up to 10 friends for each user, their mailboxes, and also their win-loss records and rankings and accumulated scores, alongside a profile section with avatar and text entry. It was pretty huge back at that time, but it only got 15,000 subscribed members. Who would have known if this would have come out just a little bit later? And now we turn to the Xbox 360 launch game, Dead Rising, which, while it did get a pretty good response, critically, like it was awarded the most innovative design for 360 award by IGN, it also received best action adventure game from GameSpot, it was even called Game of the Year by Spike TV. I just wasn't really a fan of it. I felt like the story was that loosely connected to your actual objectives that you just kind of got lost in the killing of hundreds of thousands of zombies which is fun for an hour but then you kind of get a little bit bored of it but again we're not here for opinion we are here for facts did you know that the game is banned in germany and anyone caught with the game could be sentenced to imprisonment because of the graphical nature of the violence portrayed in the game the German board responsible for rating entertainment software refused to rate the game and effectively put a halt to Microsoft publishing the German version of the game. But the game was made available via import to players of a legal age. However, this is where it gets interesting. After a decision by Hamburg's County Court in June 2007, according to Article 131 of the German Criminal Code, it was prohibited for the game to even be anywhere in the country in August 2007. So any sales of the title in Germany were 100% illegal and anyone caught selling the game could be sentenced to imprisonment or a monetary penalty. And all copies of the game were confiscated by the German police. Up next, we move on to a underrated classic in my eyes. A game that was, it kind of disappeared in the noise of other games released on the PS2 at the time. 
Godfather the Game. It was a brilliant title. It was one that I had so much fun with and I recommend that if anybody can find it and pick it up or if you are listening to this, anybody at Electronic Arts, do try and remaster this game. I feel like you might have a shot against the likes of Mafia. But today I learned shortly before his death and despite needing an oxygen mask to breathe, Marlon Brando recorded his voice to appear in the game once again as Don Vito Corleone. However, Brando only recorded one line due to his health. So how did they get around this? They actually hired an impersonator to finish the rest of his lines. Now, going back to the game myself recently, it's mind-blowing to see how close to the real thing they got it. Now let's get to one of the weirder segments of the podcast that we're going to get to here on Learn Something, which is our bit where we're going to be talking about the PlayStation 2. Now, for this first one, we're going to talk about a guy who was originally named Dan Holmes, who was so attached to his PlayStation 2 that he actually changed his name to PlayStation 2. And he also requested a number of vicars to marry him to his console. We all like games. You wouldn't be listening to this and we wouldn't be, I wouldn't be writing about them if it was not the case. Some of you are obsessed by games and there were people everywhere who have forsaken everything, love life, physical well-being, other hobbies and interests to play endless hours of any games out there. But this is however another step for the over-obsessed gamer who is the man in the UK who now goes as by the name of Mr. PlayStation 2. Formerly known as Dan Holmes, as I said before, he said he loved his PS2 so much that he decided that the only thing to do was to legally change his name. And he went even further, quote unquote, I joked about marrying a PlayStation and asked a few vicars if they would do the service. He said in all seriousness, they didn't seem keen. Well, I wonder why. Next. Probably one of my favourite games ever on the PlayStation 2, which was Shadow of the Colossus. It was an amazingly creative game from the super genius Fumito Ueda. And it turns out that the game was planned to be a lot bigger than what we currently than what we got. Turns out that there was originally 48 Colossi who were the giant monsters that you fought in the game in mind when planning it. Realising that putting in that many colossi was not possible, he cut the number down to 24, which was half the original number. Eventually, the number of colossi used in the book, used in the game, sorry, became 16, with the eight unused colossi appearing only in the art book. Some are quasi-prototype versions of the colossi that survived the final version of the game, other designs were discarded to improve game flow, and some were cut for reasons unknown. I bring this one up because obviously next year they're bringing out a remastered version of Shadow of the Colossus. Now if this isn't the perfect opportunity to bring some of these back, I don't know what else is. But please at least think about it, Team Blue, when remastering it. I would love for a longer game. 
and now Saddam Hussein. Okay, I know that that was quite a weird transition, but it is about the PlayStation 2. Um, so, while the PlayStation 2 was being pushed as one of the most powerful consoles on the planet with a 32-bit CPU, which was every bit as powerful as a processor found in most desktop and laptop computers, with graphics capabilities that were five times more powerful than a typical graphics workstation at the time, and roughly 15 times more powerful than the graphics cards found in most PCs at the time, of course, not now, and with the power to generate up to 75 million polygons per second, it turns out that there's a rumour that Saddam Hussein had bought as many as 4,000 PlayStation 2 consoles to bundle together, quote-unquote, into some sort of crude supercomputer to be used for a variety of military applications such as launching WMDs. I'm totally not kidding about that. Quote-unquote, an integrated bundle of 12 to 15 PlayStation 2s could provide enough computer power to control an Iraqi unmanned aerial vehicle, or UAV. While it all sounds rather fishy, um, it wasn't neither confirmed or disproven before Saddam Hussein's eventual death. It's a weirdly funny story, and it's one that I can't help but visualise in my head of just seeing this tower of PS2s, all with varying different memory cards in, of course, with different save files, um, controlling um, controlling an army. It's, it's particularly weird, and one that I hope, and a visual that I hope you guys enjoy too. Hey guys, just a quick one to tell you where to find us outside of the podcast. Um, obviously, this is an official podcast for a certain blog, and I would be a terrible human being to myself if I didn't tell you more about the blog itself. It's called New Rising Media, and it's the lifestyle blog for the future human. What do I mean by that? Well, the future human is obviously going to be a connected human, and technology, science, and geek culture have taken center stage and they're at the front of popular culture in terms of what people are talking about. So I basically take the current trending news stories and provide my own opinion and that how I feel they will impact the future. So recent stories include the battle between Spotify and Apple Music. Um, God, what else have I been talking about? There's far too many topics for me to think about right now so I'm going to open up the website which is also responsive and works on mobiles and the future of podcasting and the future of self-driving cars why you shouldn't live such a digitally dependent life and the future of Pokemon Go the facts of Facebook hoaxes still tricking people uh, the fake news controversy the future of Snapchat, they're all there and they're all waiting for your attentive eyes to have a read and to be inspired by them and to walk away from it learning something that you haven't learnt before or even just taking away another opinion whether you agree on it or disagree. So be sure to check it out, newrisingmedia.com and also we've got a competition going on. So if you go on to newrisingmedia.com slash subscribe 
and pop your email address in there to subscribe to our mailing list. You could be in with a chance of winning a copy of Crash Bandicoot The Insane Trilogy on PS4. Okay, let's get on with the show. And finally, we're going to clear up with four quick facts. The first one, remember the Sega Dreamcast? The console that finally puts Sega's console hopes to rest. They did their best, but it came to a screeching end, unfortunately. Well, do you know what the last game ever made for the console was? Well, it turns out it was a game called Sega Gaga. It was a role-playing video game developed by Ted Okano of Sega and released solely in Japan for the Dreamcast on May 29th, 2001. The storyline was a tongue-in-cheek reference to the commercial un- commercial success, or lack thereof, of the Dreamcast console. The player is recruited by Sega in a last-ditch effort to stop a rival company from taking over the console market. The game, interspersed with animated cutscenes, features numerous cameos by Sega characters and games as you try and save the company from failing. And the game was developed more or less in secret and was released kind of under the radar from everyone else. It's it's an interesting one and I'd love to get my hands on a copy. Next up, there was actually a partnership between Sony and Nintendo and if the partnership had actually gone through, you probably would have never seen the PlayStation. It turns out that the Super Nintendo was going to get a CD attachment built by Sony and it was going to be called the Super NES CD-ROM and basically it just slotted on the bottom of the NES and it made it kind of look like a silver sandwich that took cartridges in the top and discs at the bottom. It was an interesting experiment and it was one that didn't look super attractive but then again anything with like hardware hardware attachments like that always look pretty god awful anyway but still Moving straight on, um, it turns out that Sony wanted to call it the PlayStation. That was um, the standalone hybrid console between the NES and the Super NES CD-ROM. It was spelled as two words, it wasn't just one. But Nintendo had a secret partnership at Philips and it turns out that they went with them because Philips offered to do it for less money and it didn't even let Sony know. The only time they let them know was when they were on stage at a conference way back in the early 90s and they said we're doing this with Philips. That's the only time that Philips knew. They knew when we knew and Sony I bet they probably if Nintendo had gone and said no to them chances are I bet they would not have thought about entering the gaming market. But, since Nintendo did it in such a, let's call it a backstabby kind of way, I'm assuming that probably incensed Sony and gave them the incentive to launch the PlayStation. And the rest, as they say, is history. Next up, early retirement, courtesy of McDonald's. Have you ever played the McDonald's Monopoly game where you get the little stickers on top of the box and you peel them off and you're trying to like get around the Monopoly board to win big prizes. Well, today I learned that if you won the million dollar prize on the McDonald's Monopoly game in America, they actually paid you $50,000 per year 
for 20 years. So essentially what that meant is you could just take a massive break and come back to work after two decades. And finally, not even related to video games, but it's a game nonetheless. We're going to talk about Rock, Paper, Scissors, which was a usual decider game that helped the entire student house that I lived in in the third year of university choose who was going to go next door and grab the Chinese takeaway. So, obviously the hand signals for rock, which was a clenched fist, paper, a flat hand and scissors, your index and third finger separated to symbolise scissors was pretty universal. But we're talking about a bit of the game called the Prime, which essentially is when you move your hand up and down as if you're going rock, paper, scissors, go, or one, two, three, go, or whatever it may be. So the reason why I use three primes is because apparently that is, that is the commonly used rule in Europe. It's a three prime shoot. So players move their arms up and down in unison three times before starting the what's called the approach phase where you show what move you're going to do. In North America, it's two primes. You bunch of weirdos. And that's it from Learn Something Today. Thank you so much for listening. Did you enjoy it? Then you can help me out on this podcast in many, many different ways. You can go on to the anchor station, anchor.fm slash New Rising Media. Find us on there, favourite the station, give us a round of applause on which segments you like the most. Or if you have any thoughts or feedback on any particular segments, then you can either click on the discussion button while listening, that'll be the little comment button. Or if you want to call in with your own thoughts, or as I said before, if you want to tell me what your favourite game ever is, then tap on the station and tap call in and call into the show and then let's have a chat. Um, I will echo any kind of call-ins that people do and they will go to the hundreds of listeners that I get every single day. Besides that, you can read the latest blog entries that I post on newrisingmedia.com. I spoke about the website earlier. Um, also, you can find us on Facebook at New Rising Media, on Twitter at New Rising underscore Media. You can find me on Twitter at Mr. Jason England. And you can also find me on Instagram and Snapchat at the same usernames. And since we're talking about video games, uh, I'm mostly playing on the PlayStation 4 at the moment. So I'm on Battlefield 1 most of the time, um, varying between that and Grand Theft Auto 5. Sometimes Batman because I like being Batman. That's just me. Um, and if you're interested at all in inviting me along for a game or if you want to play along with me, um, my gamer tag on PSN, no, it's, it's called an ID, isn't it? The PSN ID, how dare I, is, please don't laugh, Squishy Gorilla. That's right, Squishy Gorilla, all one word. Do add me as a friend and let's play. Anyway, take care. I'll see you tomorrow. Bye.